this is practical free advice here as it says if you're sitting in public and a stranger takes a seat next to you just stare straight ahead and say did you bring the money <laughs> that'll probably resolve any problem there and if you ask me what I'm doing tomorrow tomorrow and I say nothing it does not mean I am free it means I'm doing nothing <laughs> on purpose that's what it is all right so much for that maybe those aren't funny anymore Maybe I'm the only old person in here. But James is on his way because he's, he's chuckling politely every time I say one of those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, pray that we, we ask you to be a, a teacher to us, a help to us. You've given us the spirit to live inside of us. Jesus helped the disciples understand the prophetic word even before he went back to heaven. But he promised the spirit inside of us, who is our our unction, our anointing, which is to teach us, to teach us your word especially and about the Son of God. We pray that you'll help us this morning, help us to learn and understand, help us to remember what we've learned, help us to act on what we have learned and understood so that when we go out of here, we actually do a better job of what you've left us responsible to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Bella said he's not having a hard time with what the Bible says. He can understand it. He's having a hard time with doing what he understands. And that's probably most of us there. Chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I think he's reflecting back to chapter 6, verse 12. This is all on page 1234 of your Schofield Bible, if that's what you use. Chapter 6, verse 12, he said something about, or verse 11, our heart is enlarged and you're not made tight, you're not straightened in us. And he says, I want you, verse 13, also to be enlarged. He's saying, enlarge your hearts, receive us, open up, welcome us. Enlarge your hearts to take us in. Give up your tight heart. And then I've put in my notes a long quotation that you can't see unless you're here and have my notes. It says, from, this is from Dr. Gill back in the uh, 19th century early. Gospel ministers ought to be received with love and respect, both into the hearts and houses of the saints. Jesus said, he that receiveth you receiveth me in Matthew 10.40. Still quoting Dr. Gill, their doctrines are to be received in the love of them and with faith and meekness. And this may be another part of the apostles' meaning here. Receive the word and the ministry of reconciliation, which we dwelt on for many weeks there at the end of chapter 5. The ministry of reconciliation, receive it, which we as the ambassadors of Christ bring and the several exhortations we give in his name, particularly the last mentioned. I think that's just a good way to Look back two chapters and say, that's what we're about here. Paul says, don't push this away. Receive us. This is important. This is what's supposed to be in your life, the sharing of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation that is provided for all mankind. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Some of you perhaps weren't here for the end of chapter 5. But at the end of chapter 5, we'd love to go over this. Paul says this, in verse 18, he says, All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says, let me explain that to you. To wit, that's 
Let me explain that to you. God was in Christ. That's Jesus of Nazareth being God incarnate, God on earth as a man. He was in Christ, and what Jesus did wasn't the teaching and the healing. It was the going to the cross, reconciling the world unto himself. God needed a perfect sacrifice, a man to be a substitute for all of the children of Adam and Adam himself to take out of the way the sin problem. God did it when Jesus died on the cross. And he says, because he did it, he was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now he's not imputing their trespasses unto them. The whole world, their sin is paid for. We talk about the thief on the cross that said to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Obviously his sin is paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. But that other thief, who as far as we know didn't ever believe in Jesus, God's not imputing his trespasses unto him either. He reconciled not the elect, not the believers even, but the world unto himself. In 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writes, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. Don't do it. And then he goes right along and says, And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, that's the substitute, the satisfaction, the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is no longer charging sin to man because Jesus paid the full price for all sin. He did. But he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Those who have believed have got a thing to do with their mouth and tongue and cheeks and lips and throat. It is to say, express words, explain reconciliation. The word of reconciliation is committed to us. Nobody else has got it. There are no angels out there sharing the gospel. We, verse 20 says, are ambassadors for Christ. He did the work. We're here to talk about it. As though God, who was in Christ, did beseech you, beg you, plead with you by us. We pray you, we ask you, in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. The work is done, but it's only effective Jesus paid for everybody's sins, but he only puts his righteousness to the account of the people that believe in him. Verse 21 says, He has made him, the one who knew no sin, he's made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It says might. Yeah, that's right. It says might in John 3.16 too. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know the sin was on all of mankind, but in history, God broke into history, became a man, no sin. And when he died on the cross, took the sin off onto himself. And the only condition here is whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The righteousness of God, which is the effect of the ministry of reconciliation, the righteousness of God is only in him. When you believe in Jesus, God puts the righteousness of God to your account. The sin has already been put on Jesus. The righteousness of God is put to the account of everyone that believes, and that's what's committed to us. And Paul says, receive us. 
We've wronged no man. We've corrupted no man. We've defrauded no man. Receive us. In, in third John, we have a winner. All right. Rang the bell. In third John, which is page 1327, and it only has one chapter, but verse 5, third John, verse 5, Paul says, Beloved, that's who he's talking to, his dear children, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, believers and foreigners, which have borne witness. These guys talk about you, the ones that, Paul, that John is writing to here in 3 John. They've borne witness of thy charity, thy love before the church. Whom these guys, the brethren and the strangers, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. There's people traveling here, brethren and strangers, and when they come to your place, you take care of them with love. And if you say, here, have some food, here's a good, uh, you know, we'll wash your socks and make you comfortable and send you on the next day. If you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. In our day, when you go to another town and need to stay overnight, you generally go to the closest church, right? Is that what you do, James? Not necessarily. When you have to travel and go to a different town and you need to spend a night, you use money and buy a place to spend the night the safest and nicest that you feel like affording. It's called a motel or a hotel or something to that effect. Do you know that those are fairly modern inventions and they didn't always have places like that? Now, back in the time when Israel went into the Promised Land, they went in to spy out the land just before they crossed and took down Jericho. They went to spy out Jericho, and the spies did find shelter in the house of a woman named Rahab. But she was not a good woman. It was not a hotel or a motel. It was a place of ill repute where men did resort sometimes, but not necessarily for good. So other than that kind of a place, there were not houses or motels or hotels. And so the believers, when a visiting servant of the Lord came to town, had to take care of them, recognize them, invite them in. I think the better Old Testament example is Lot. Yeah, bad old Lot. Lot was a saved man, and he's in Sodom, which is a stupid place for a saved man to be. But when these two tall, good-looking strangers came into town, Lot says, hey, come stay in my house. And they said, no, we'll stay out here on the street. He said, no, you won't stay out on the street in Sodom. You won't like that. And so he received them into his house and protected them and gave them shelter. Of course, they were there to destroy Sodom and uh, gave him shelter the next morning. In any case, that's what John is writing about here. We should receive and bring forward on their journey because these people don't have a place to stay. We ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. And then there's the other kind of traveler. Just one book earlier, in Second John, verse 7, the same page spread in the Schofield Bible, I believe, 
In 2 John, verse 7, he says, many deceivers are entered into the world. There are people out there who are teaching false doctrine, deceivers, they're liars, they're people that are trying to keep people from understanding what truth the apostles, including John, taught. He started in verse 4, says, oh, it's so great, I found your children walking in truth, the same way and I said, here's not a, a, not a new commandment. Here's the commandment of Jesus. We've had it from the beginning with him. We love one another. And this is love that we walk in. So he's all happy with the people he's writing to here that they're loving one another. And that's the, but then he says, many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. What was the deal? They said, uh, that guy... That Christ, that, that, he was God, but he wasn't a man. It was just a spirit kind of a thing, wasn't it? That's the heresy that was taught in the days of the early church. Not so, these days, we find more argument going on with people say, well, Jesus was a great man, but he wasn't God, right? That's, that's the controversy you run into in our culture today more than any other. But in those days, they said he was God, but... He couldn't have been a man, really. And that's the deception. That's the statement of Antichrist that John warned them against. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought and receive a full reward. Now, Dr. Arnold and others, and I too, like to make sure you know this doesn't mean you can lose what you have earned. Your works are going to be rewarded. Your good works are going to be rewarded with golds. I mean, with, with rewards in the kingdom and in heaven. But there's a possibility if you give in to the deceivers that you won't keep on earning rewards. You might get less than what you could have gotten if you hadn't been deceived. And in verse 9, he says, whoever transgresses, that breaks off the path, goes out of bounds, goes out of bounds and bides not in the doctrine of Christ, has not God. These bad teachers that say Christ was God, but he's not man. Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. When they say that, they're going out of bounds. I saw several good receptions of a football last night, but they were not completions because they were received out of bounds. Doesn't count if you're out of bounds. You don't get rewarded for that, and that's what this says. They transgress. They go out of bounds. They don't stay in the doctrine of Christ. Those people are making stuff up. They're not, they don't have God in their message. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So he says, here comes one of these fellows. If they're coming to you and doesn't bring the true doctrine, this doctrine, receive him not into your house. There's a guy comes down. I'm a traveling preacher. I heard you guys are hospitable. What do you think about Jesus? Oh, he's God, but he's not man. You can spend your time down the road, sir. We're not going to have you here. Neither bid him Godspeed. He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. I say, well, what does that have to do with us? You ever have somebody, and they come to the door, and they say, we'd like to give you some free Bible study materials. Oh, really? What's the name of your group? Well, we're the Watchtower. The Watchtower. Wow. Who are those? Who are they? What do we usually say? Jehovah's Witnesses. Will you talk to them? I will. Will you have them in the house? I won't. But I'm nice. I'll get them. I'll offer them a drink of water. I'll have them sit on the 
bench outside with me. I'll talk to them until they want to leave, and they usually want to leave pretty soon. It, it's a good exercise. I've never had any success, but I'll, I'll use their Bible, which is perverted. It's bent. It's purposely bent doctrinally. And I'll go to the places in it that I happen to know aren't bent. You can still go to 1 John chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I'd just like to say, according to your Bible right here, I'm one that has believed on the name of the Son of God. I have eternal life, and I can know that I have eternal life. Do you? And that's about when they leave sometimes. I also like Hebrews chapter 10 in their Bible. In our Bible, it says, by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. In their Bible, it says... Uh, by this one offering, I think he has perfected perpetually them that are sanctified. And I just like that, perfected perpetually. I say, I'm perfected perpetually. How about you? And they just want to go on down the road. One time, a few years ago, a small group, three maybe, came by, two, an adult, a teenager, and a little girl, maybe a 12-year-old girl. I said, huh. And she had a phone in her hand. The little girl did. I said, do you have a phone? And she looked at me like I was stupid. And I said, I have eternal life. It says so right here. Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I have everlasting life. Do you have a phone? Yes, I do. Do you have everlasting life? Uh, and they, about that time, the two adults took the little girl away and we couldn't talk anymore. So. I, I'm not trying to trick people, but they need to hear the gospel. There's no better way to persuade them than that. But you keep trying. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ can shine through the lie of the devil. On page two of the notes, it says, be careful whom you endorse. Be careful whom you support. Love and receive whom you may. Do not receive those who teach false doctrine on issues that are plain in the Bible. I, I get in trouble on Facebook sometimes. It's not a on purpose, but I do. I, I saw a nice post that somebody had put up about a musician that I tend to like. His name is Stuart Hamblin. He wrote the song, This Old House, and uh, Let the Sun Shine In, that Pebbles and Bam Bam used to sing on the Flintstones show. The two little babies that couldn't talk, but they sang this song perfectly well and harmonized together. But Stuart Hamblin was an old drunk and a pretty rough life, and somebody explained to him the gospel, and he got saved. And then after that, he had uh, a different kind of life and different kind of music filled up his life, and it's been a blessing. One of the music groups at Florida Bible College down in Hollywood called Eternity did a whole album of Stuart Hamblin songs, and Stuart Hamblin sang with them, and it was pretty neat stuff. But... Uh, at the end of this post, which I shared, copied, and you know, just, just sent on its way to my group in Facebook, it said that that young evangelist that had an impact on Stuart Hamblin's life was Billy Graham. And I didn't say anything about that, because that's not my purpose. To, and I just, boy, a bunch of my so-called friends jumped all over that. You mentioned Billy Graham. You're endorsing Billy Graham? I said, no, I was endorsing. I was thinking this was nice about Ken Hamblin not endorsing Billy Graham, I, I, but I think, think he's uh, probably led some people to the Lord in spite of the fact that his gospel got mixed after a while. There's a fellow 
whose son is a student in our college. And he was here in the ranch and church time when Dr. Lindstrom was here, the, the father was. And uh, we were just chatting with him, and his son was first thinking of coming here to school and asked him if he trusted the Lord at ranch or in church. He said, no, I went to a Billy Graham crusade. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> and we didn't fuss with him. You know, it's nice to know, but people get saved sometimes. You, you can have a messed up gospel tract and people can still get saved from it. You, God will take the gospel and help it. But we don't endorse Billy Graham, but a lot of people have been helped by the word of God and he did share the word of God sometime. So anyway, we'd be careful who you endorse <coughs> some folks in our church that have hoped and wished that our church would find a ministry that focuses on Jewish evangelism to support because we want to be supportive of the children of Abraham in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant that says whosoever, when somebody blesses you, God will bless them. And we want to be a part of that and be a blessing to the children of Israel. And I managed to find three different ministries and put them in front of the elders and we'll talk about them sometime but so many that you may have heard of when you look a little at more depth into their doctrinal position and what they think the gospel is you're going to find out no matter how nice those people are their gospel's a mess their gospel implies either that you have to turn from sin to be saved because they don't explain the word repentance or their gospel says you actually have to make Jesus Lord of your life to be saved. They teach lordship salvation. Those are very common errors about the gospel. You didn't understand that. The word repentance doesn't mean anything to do with sin. It means a change of mind in the New Testament, a change of mind. And sometimes people need to change their mind about who Jesus is, right? Jesus said to the Pharisees, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Sometimes you need to change your mind about who God is. Paul to the Athenians said, you think God's somebody that needs to be worshipped with men's hands, that you can build a box for him and call it his temple and bring him money or bring him food and God is worshipped by stuff you do for him. He doesn't need anything. You need to change your mind about what God is like in order to understand and believe in Jesus. Or you might just need to change your mind about what pleases God. Many people believe they can please God by doing what, if, if you ask anybody on the street, walking up and down the street, what do you think you have to do to go to heaven? If they answer you, they will say two words. Do you know what the words are? Be good. They may stretch it out longer, but the two words are always be good. You ask a kid, what do you got to do to go to heaven? Be good. It's wrong. It's false. But that might be something you need to change your mind about in order to be saved. I thought I had to be good. I see that I couldn't be good enough, and Jesus died for my sins, and so I can believe in him and be saved. You do change your mind about something when you believe. But we don't use the word repentance very much because so many people understand it in the modern English way, which is either to turn away from sin or to be sorry for sin. And that's not what the word in the New Testament means. It means change your mind. Occasionally it means change of mind about sinning. For believers in the book of Revelation, it's used about sin. But it's not about how to be saved in the book of Revelation. It's about how to get their life straightened out. Change your mind. Of, there were some lost people in the tribulation that didn't change their mind about their abominations that they were doing. They kept on in them. You know, they were lost and stayed lost. In any case, 
you got to be careful with who you support. And so many people are confused because in the English language today, the word repentance means be sorry for sin or turn from sin. That's not how you get saved. It's just not. Is it appropriate for people who are saved to be sorry for sin? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> These things write I unto you that you sin. Is it appropriate for believers who are involved in sin to turn from their sin? Yeah, that's a good idea too. It doesn't keep them saved or get them saved, but it's a good way to get back in line where God can bless you. So we use those thoughts, but not in order to get a lost person saved. Going on in the verse that we're supposedly studying here this morning, he says, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. So Paul is here denying three things he might have been charged with. He's writing to the Corinthians. You remember his first letter to the Corinthians was pretty rough because they had a lot of problems, and so he was fixing those. Now, some people, when they get corrected, like people do, get unhappy with the person who offers the correction. And so Paul may have suffered some feedback of a negative sort, and so he's answering these possible charges against him. We have wronged no man. And the note says, a word used only by Paul, which implies doing wrong for the sake of gain. He says, I didn't say, everybody come to my meeting, $5 admission. He didn't, he didn't do anything to get the money. He says, we've corrupted no man. We didn't ruin anybody. We didn't ruin anybody. That word could have to do with money. It could have to do with morals. Or it could have to do with doctrine. We didn't turn anybody us into a mess about money or about moral living or about truth of doctrine. And in the third point, he says, we have defrauded no man. We did not take advantage of anyone. We are just straight up here for your own good. And he had to say this repeatedly. I'd look back a few chapters to chapter 4, page 1232. He said this, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. We're not tricky. Not handling the word of God deceitfully. You know, you can pretend this says, no, don't do that. <laughs> but by manifestation of the truth. What is a manifest? On a truck or on a ship or on an airplane, a manifest is a list you can read of what's in the truck or the ship or the airplane. People or stuff, a manifest lets you know what's in there. And it says we manifest the truth. What we do, what Paul did, is try to let people know what's in there in the book of the truth by manifestation of the truth by making it known commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of god in in chapter six i'm not going to take much time on these verses just read them because they're self-explanatory in chapter six in verse three he says giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed and the only thing that brings to mind this morning is that's what I watched when Iowa was playing football, and that's what I watched pretty much on both sides in the Florida State-Louisville game, no offense in anything. And Anyway, but that's not what this is about. This is not football. This is how you live your life. Don't do things that would bring a bad name on the ministry. 
Do you recall the story of David and Bathsheba? I'm sure you do. It's a sad story. But the rebuke to David when Nathan the prophet stuck his finger in his face and said, you're the man that sinned, the rebuke of Nathan included these words, because by this you have given great occasion to the enemies to blaspheme. That's what Paul was saying, I don't want to do. I don't want to give any occasion for people to speak badly, to blame the ministry. I want to keep my life such that the ministry be not blamed in any area, in anything. The ministry be not blamed in anything. The ministry be not blamed. In chapter 11, we're not nearly that far along yet, but page 1238 and verse 9, Paul says this. He says, when I was present with you and wanted, now what's he saying? When I needed something, when I was hungry, when I was cold, when I was wet, when I was sleepy, when I was present with you and had needs, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. Now I need you to imagine a map of the Mediterranean in your mind. Corinth is at the south end of the mainland part of Greece, and there's a big peninsula below it called the Peloponnese. It was the isthmus of Corinth, where the city of Corinth was on the west side of it, and they dragged ships over there on rollers because it was so far around to sail around Greece, and it was also the only land bridge. So it was a center of commerce like New York City was. It was a great, great city down at the southern end of Greece. Now, if you go on up and out to the east and around the coast of Greece until you get to the end of Greece and you come to another country up at the north called Macedonia, and that's where the Macedonians lived, duh, <laughs> and so it's a long haul away from where the Corinthians were. And Paul says, when I was with you, I didn't let you take care of my wants. I was chargeable to no man. What I needed, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, they came down with stuff for me. And he says, in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. Paul says, I'm not going to let you say Paul took money from us. I'm not going to let you say it. In the next chapter, in chapter 12, at, toward the end of it, verse 14, he says, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you. I don't know what that means. He's written a letter. This is a second letter. He's been there in person once. Maybe he's been there in person twice already. I just don't, didn't sort that out. But the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. I seek not yours, that is, your stuff. What I'm after is you. <laughs> I seek not yours, but you. The children ought not lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. You ever think about that? You hope and pray that your children are successful so that when they're well off, you can get their, their money or their stuff. Is that the way parents usually are? Some are, I guess, parents of athletes and others that make a lot of money when they're young. But the normal way of things is the parents are the ones that are bringing in the bread and earning money and accumulating wealth. And after the end of, as they approach the end of their life, they pass something on to their children. That's what Paul says is the normal way of things. The parents ought lay up for the children. Paul says, I'm the parent. You're my children. I'm not after your stuff. I just want you. I want you. 
That's the, isn't that it? I have a daughter in the panhandle of Florida. I have a son in Seattle. And I don't want their stuff. I want them. I want to love them and them to love me and, and to be able to be a part of their life. There was a time when one of them was estranged from us, and, and that's gotten better, and we're just so grateful for that because we couldn't do anything about it. You, it just The child wouldn't have anything to do with us, but that's better now, and I'm so glad. Well, in verse 15, he goes on and says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And that is the way of parents and children, and that's the way Paul was with the Corinthians. He says, I'm just going to give and give, even if you don't love me back, I'm just going to keep on, I'm just going to keep on loving you. And not just to the Corinthians, he talks about the same idea to the folks of the church in Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, toward the end of the chapter, is a long recitation or message, sermon, if you will, by Paul that he delivered to the elders Elders, plural, of the churches, I think, in Ephesus. It wasn't that they met in one place, but they had several meetings. It was a pretty good-sized city. And he's going by, and he didn't go to Ephesus. He went by a port city south of Ephesus on a way to, by ship to get back to Jerusalem. And he let the elders know he was there, and they came down to him. So it's a, a group of church leaders that he's speaking to, and he spends a good deal of time talking to them about the ministry he had with them but he mentions this at verse 33. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's nice. You ought to work. He says, I worked so that I wasn't chargeable, and I've showed you these things. You ought to support people that need support. There's people among us that are not able to take care of themselves. We ought to do that. And then he quotes Jesus, and you can search one end of the Gospels to the other. You won't find this in there. This is one of the things Paul got from Jesus that the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did not. But we know that Jesus said this because Paul re recited it in this message to the church at Ephesus. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if I was an appropriate teacher, I would say it is more blessed to give than to receive. But it doesn't matter which way you pronounce B-L-E-S-S-E-D. -S -S -E it's just blessed all the way, or blessed. <laughs> All right, well, he goes on to other churches as well with this same kind of defense against these charges that might have been offered, that he had wronged people and took money from them. In 1 Thessalonians 2, page 1268, in verse 3, he says, Our exhortation, when I was there to encourage you, that's that encouragement word, was not of deceit, I want tricky, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing God, not as pleasing men, but God which tries our hearts. We didn't use flattering words. We didn't use a cloak of covetousness. We didn't say, boy, this is really good. Don't you want to give? God is witness. 
In verse 6, he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. I think here the word glory is like the word honor in other times. I think he's talking about material support. I'm not looking for you guys to support me. The odd thing is these Thessalonians he's writing to, they'd only heard him preach for about three weeks. They're Macedonians. Do you remember what he said to the Corinthians about the Macedonians? The Corinthians, he says, I wouldn't let you give me anything material, but those fellows from Macedonia, they came down and provided for my needs. These are the ones he said I wouldn't. He, he brags on them later on when he's writing to the Corinthians. Thessalonians is earlier. In 2 Thessalonians, he says it again. He says, yourselves, still to the Thessalonians, yourselves know how you ought to follow us. We behave not ourselves disorderly among you. He says the disorderly ones are the ones that say you don't have to work. We didn't do that. Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, for naught. But we worked. We wrought with labor and travail. Travail is a strong word for like a lady giving birth. Labor and pain night and day so that we wouldn't be chargeable to any of you. Not that because we don't have power. We are apostles, he said, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Follow me, boys. And as we go back to Second Corinthians now in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, he says, after he says, we didn't, wrong anybody, we didn't corrupt anybody, we didn't defraud anybody. I speak not this to condemn you. I just want you to know, I said before, you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I'm filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. He says, I just, I just love you. He wouldn't, he just said, I just, you're in our hearts. I'll die for you. I'll live with you. I'm just full of comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful. In all the trouble that I go through, I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. I was reminded when I read that little section that when, when Paul first came to Corinth, there was a pretty good it's chapter 18 of Acts. Chapter 18, it says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. You get down in verse 4, it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He's out there working to have his food, and then he's preaching every weekend. And the result of that in verse 8, it says, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Paul had a good result working in Corinth, so much better than what Athens was like, where just a few philosophers believed and not so many. But after Crispus believed and many of the Corinthians believed, verse 9 and 10, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, words of encouragement, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Why did he say it twice? Probably that was what Paul was much like us. If you don't choose to push yourself to open your mouth and speak boldly the gospel, you'll, you'll just 
I'm holding my peace. But Jesus encouraged him to speak boldly. He says, I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Jesus looked down the road at the crowds in this great city of Corinth and said, I've got a bunch of them. They're going to believe and be saved. Many of them had already believed. We just read about it. They're going to believe and be saved. Paul said in the verse we were just at, I said before, in verse 3, he says, I'm not speaking this to condemn you. I have said before that your inner hearts to die and to live with you. And that took me back to what he wrote to the Philippians. I'm sorry, in chapter 6, we have the same thing in, about I, what he just says here. I'm not trying to condemn you. Chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, just to see it. Our heart is, mouth is opened unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Your, your only narrowness comes from your own self. It's all right. I've said this before. Then one last thought. He was in another city all the way up in, in uh, Macedonia called Philippi. Of course, in Philippi, the women down at the river, the Jewish women, heard him speak and trusted the Savior. He cast out a demon that was saying, this is a fellow that tells us a way of salvation. And then they threw him into jail, and the Philippian jailer and all of his house got saved. Philippi was where Paul began his ministry in the continent of Europe. And after down the road many years later, he's in jail, perhaps in Rome, and he writes a letter back to the Philippians, and that's what the letter to the Philippians is. Paul writing to these people that he loved and that loved him. And in chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, I have to back up just a little bit here. He's in jail. And people are saying, Paul's in jail. That's what happens when you preach the gospel. But he says, no, even the ones that are against me present the gospel when they tell about what I said. So he says in verse 18, What then, notwithstanding every way, even in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. And in verse 20 he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, in nothing I should be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be, made, shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. Paul's thinking about continuing to live and about dying. And he says, look, to me, if I'm alive, it's Christ. That's all I'm about, Christ. To die is gain. I'm going to be out of here. <laughs> if I live in the flesh, this, and you can see him looking around. There's not enough light to see much. It's dark. It's dank. It's probably smells bad. This is the fruit of my labor. He's in a rotten prison. Yet what I shall choose, I don't know. I want not. I am in a strait betwixt two, having desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, Philippians. Having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ, Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He says, I, I'd like to just go home, be with Jesus. 
I'd like to go, but I need you need me. You need me. We'll close up with this last look at verse 4 here again. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. This, by the way, is the first place in this whole letter where he switched from we to first person. First person, I, I, my boldness. I don't know that that means much, but we'll, we'll stop there. We'll have prayer and we'll stop. But I hope you understand Paul's heart toward the Corinthians was just, you can't take any of these accusations against me seriously. I have just poured myself out and will continue to do so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we see this man who was a man like us with problems and with the tendency to keep his mouth shut when he should have opened it, we pray that we'll take his example and pray for ourselves that we will open our mouths boldly as we ought to speak the gospel that we are put in trust with, the ministry of reconciliation, that the sin problem is solved, and that all anyone can do is believe in Jesus, and the righteousness of God himself will be put down on their account, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to everyone that believes. Father, thank you and bless us as we continue in your word and the service to follow in Jesus' name.